to the ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today we'll be talking with Dr. Alpin Patel. Dr. Patel is a physician engineer and diagnostic and interventional radiologist with Geisinger Health System in Pennsylvania. He serves as chair of radiology for the system as the medical director of artificial intelligence for the Steele Institute for Health Innovation and also leads imaging informatics in radiology. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Chris, and look forward to the discussion. Absolutely. Well, let's dive right in. Uh, today, we'll be talking about your team's efforts at, at Geisinger to combat overutilization of imaging and, related, and relatedly about your unique approach to using clinical decision support, or as some people know, at CDS. Uh, but first, um, why have you, I'm really interested to know why you all have taken overutilization so seriously at Geisinger. Uh, it sounds like maybe Geisinger offers its own health pay, uh, plan to patients. Maybe that has something to do with it. But could you please elaborate on that for us? Geisinger is an integrated healthcare delivery system with 10 hospitals and an insurance plan that covers approximately 600,000 lives. So our goal in that setting is to perform the right imaging at the right time and reduce um, unwarranted variation in care. Of course, it's not an easy issue. And as an idea with an insurance plan, um, we look at revenue a little differently for radiology. So we don't look at it as isolation. Uh, if there is overutilization, uh, it can increase revenue for radiology, it, but it also increases expenses for a health plan. So therefore, it's not uh, not a net gain for the combined enterprise. Um, so um, those additional expenses also makes us um, less competitive in the insurance market and potentially impede growth. So that's um, that's the way we're, we're looking at it. And of course, one way to address this um, overutilization used to use accepted uh, evidence-based clinical guidelines um, uh, to, to guide some of the decision-making. And benefit of taking this approach, of course, is potentially improved outcomes and reduction in costs of care. Um, and in many cases, reduce unnecessary radiation exposure for our patients and members. We realize this is not really easy to do, uh, but it, it has to be done. Um, uh, and we're just trying to find a narrow pathway that's going Excellent. And, you know, I guess when you say IDN, are you referring to um, integrated delivery network? Is that what? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I guess in keeping with that, it's not like um, just to set audience expectations. A lot of what you all have done is, is pretty unique. And I don't know that it's totally scalable in all situations, uh, but nonetheless, we find it really interesting. So we're just uh, really want to find out more from you uh, on how you did this. So I guess that brings us to clinical decision support, or again, CDS. Um, and, and I'm, I, you know, and, you know, again, as we were talking about before we even started, uh, uh, you know, CDS has a little bit fallen off a lot of people's radars just because of the uh, ongoing uh, health emergency and, and PAMA being pushed back and back and back, uh, which we'll, we'll come to in a little bit about the more context of that. But, but, but for now, um, you know, it's a, it's a tech, if we can maybe, you know, remind people, it's a technology that, that does help stem overutilization. Um, so, so maybe for our viewers who maybe aren't even very familiar with CDS at all for, to begin with, uh, can you please uh, provide a brief explanation of what it is and why you find it important to radiology? Yeah, so from, from, from a radiology perspective, there are two broad categories of CDS. One is for radiologists uh, for clinical guidelines and so on. And the other one is for the referring physicians that supports um, uh, the ordering patterns uh, for the referring physicians. Um, so uh, in its ideal state, within that scenario, uh, and 
a CDS would help referring providers order appropriate tests uh, for the patients um, for a particular clinical scenario. So we're trying to achieve that by using, um, using CDS mechanism that delivers that particular guidance in the least disruptive as possible uh, within the ordering workflow. We, from other prior experiences, we found that the more disruptive the workflow is, and, and this is a pretty well-known fact, uh, there's less buy-in and then the last thing one people wanna do is to do more clicks. So um, we've taken significant uh, or made significant efforts to reduce some of those clicks. Um, and uh, the way our, our CDSM tool works is uh, you, the provider types in the, the usual study for reason, uh, the reason for study, I should say, um, uh, within the AMR, and then the tool performs NLP on it, it structures that, uh, uh, that indication, and then interprets the indication and, and renders the judgment. If it doesn't have enough information in, they'll ask for additional information uh, to help support that. The other thing it does, which, which is pretty unique, is that if there's a note associated with it, it will actually read the note and try to support the, uh, the indication as well. So, um, so it does a lot of things to support the, uh, the referring physician uh, so that they don't have to do uh, extra work and they, they will only do extra work if, uh, if it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, and I know that's a big concern of, of CDS adoption at the foundational level is not giving referring physicians more work to do. You want it to be integrated. So I love that idea of trying to keep it as seamless as possible is what it sounds like you're saying. So Absolutely. And, and that works pretty well in a closed environment, right? So for Geisinger physician within Geisinger environment, it works. But we have, we're also working with our, um, uh, working to give same access to our external partners, non-Geisinger provider partners uh, with, a, with a gateway or giving them access to Epic Link, they will, they will log directly into our EMR and they can put the order in right there and therefore get the support they need there as well. So, so we are, and we're communicating this uh, um, and supporting our partners uh, with uh, our physician liaison team. Well, that's great. That's great. It sounds like it's very inclusive. So that's a good yeah. thing. Um, well, one reason you and your team have pushed ahead with installing uh, CDS, you know, despite like we talked about the med ongoing medical emergency and things like that, um, is because of the, the, I said, Pam, off the top, I should have probably defined it as the Protecting Access to, to Medicare Act, um, that, that piece of legislation that came out in 2014. So can you please explain um, how, how that, that um, has influenced your approach to CDS implementation? Sure, of course. So, so the brief review of PAMA, or Protecting Access to Medicare Act of 2014, and in particular for radiology section 218B, mandates that for advanced diagnostic imaging like CT, MRI, PET, and nuclear medicine, all orders have to go through a qualified clinical decision support mechanism that uses guidelines from a qualified clinical uh, or um, provider-led entity. Um, so uh, in that light, majority of the, um, uh, of, uh, the CDSM are using different guidelines. Some are using ACR, some are using, uh, uh, you know, um, different, all different kind of guidelines. Um, um, and uh, there are, for the implementation phase of it, there are, there are two phases of it. One is the educational and operational phase, where uh, it allows you to implement, experiment, and make sure that the mechanisms are working, and allows you to educate the referring providers so that uh, when you go live, um, uh, when I say live, I mean uh, the second phase, which is, uh, which is the penalty phase, um, uh, you, uh, you have less issues. And the idea here is in the, of the penalty phase is that if you don't go through such a mechanism, 
the imaging service provider, meaning radiology, would not get paid for the study. So that's why um, it had raised a lot of antennas and, uh, and focused people on how to implement this. And um, <clears throat> this phase, of course, has been postponed indefinitely. And, and um, um, we don't know when it's going to start back up again. Um, but regardless, uh, uh, we're going to continue our efforts. So CDSM uh, does two things. One is that says, does it adhere to appropriate use criteria that is, that is um, uh, determined by the qualified provider entity? So if it, if it does, uh, does it adhere to it or it does not? It doesn't prevent you from actually ordering it. It just documents adherence. And there may be, there may be areas where there is no AUC for that particular clinic indication, and they'll document that as well. So interesting. Well, I, maybe, maybe uh, you know, Pama is a good backdrop for, for my next question, which is, you know, how did your team obtain uh, executive buy-in uh, for even using CDS? Because I know sometimes it's a heavy lift for, for some yeah, Absolutely, and the, it um, the postponements um, um, were um, have happened, and it has uh, it has helped in some ways. But PAMA itself, the Act, um, uh, the Protecting Access to Medicare Act, helped us um, uh, drive some of the buy-in. And it, on top of that, our um, our executive leadership and our health plan leadership already tracks uh, some of the utilization data and benchmarks. Um, and that already we led to a conclusion that CDS is needed regardless of whether PAMA exists or not. Mm -hmm. That means that our, our, um, um, we need that particular guidance to, to control um, and appropriately size utilization. Uh, so regardless if PAMA happened or not, um, because we track some of these uh, utilization data and benchmarks uh, and compare them to benchmarks, uh, we, we already had buy-in. Mm -hmm. And so our executive team has been a big supporter and a believer of this effort. Um, and as a matter of fact, they've tasked me along with our uh, uh, chair of emergency department uh, to lead this effort um, and, um, and continue, that, um, uh, continue that effort indefinitely. It's so interesting because I've thought of, I've always, ever since its inception in 2014, I've always thought of PAMA as more of a stick than a carrot. It's like you get penalized, you know, if you don't go, you know, uh, you know seek out the, the appropriate kind of uh, guidelines and things like that pertaining to you know Medicare patients and things like that but the way it's so interesting the way you're approaching is more of a carrot in a sense because you've almost uh it seems to me like you've helped PAMA maybe helped you get you there but I mean now that the executive team understands the importance of it it almost almost doesn't seem to matter in, in a sense that PAMA has been suspended they, they really are hooked on that idea Am I, do I have that yeah. right such, such a yeah absolutely idea. and this is this is not an effort that started now um, it's just something we've been trying to do for a decade. It's oh. Some of the mechanisms that we're using are more mature for us to do this. So mm -hmm. we participated in the original, um, original MID or the Medicare Imaging Demonstration Project uh, about a decade ago. Oh. And, um, uh, that, um, and from that, we implemented uh, uh, a different mechanism probably five, six years ago. And, and uh, that was probably has a too broad a scope. We included all orders um, and inpatient, outpatients and ED. So that was probably a too broad a scope. Mm. So now we've sort of appropriately sized it, uh, limited to PAMA. And once that is mature, we'll expand it. We'll probably call it PAMA plus or something for lack of a better term, but that's so something that we intend to do. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and, and the fact that, that uh, you know, you started so long ago, some people might see that as intimidating. Like, oh gosh, we haven't even started. And it's, you know, the, these these, you know, 
you know, I guess super users, if you want to call it that, of, of CDS, you know, it's taken them eight or nine years to really get up to speed. But I mean, how, how would you, I, I know we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but do, do you have any advice for somebody who might be facing this like, oh, you know, I really, whether or not PAMA is a real thing to them, they still want a, a radiologist maybe out there or two who are watching really are, are energized by this idea. I mean, uh, it's, it's good to, you know, be, to set expectations that this isn't going to happen overnight, but how would you encourage them, uh, to, you know, to get up to speed like that? Yeah, I think, I think so. Starting, uh, starting small and, uh, and focused is, is number one thing. And the second is buying, uh, achieving buy-in from your partners um, who, are, who are ordering these studies is going to be big. And for that to happen, you got to make it painless for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's something that um, if you ask them I mean, on an everyday basis, providers are asked to do different and more things. And this, if this is perceived as just one of those things, then it's going to be difficult for you to get buy-in. And the, and the next is tell people why we are doing this. And the why will support your efforts as well. And I think that's, that's going to be critical. And that's what, we, that's what we did. That's good advice. I hope people take that to heart. Well, as I understand, and you talked about this, you alluded to it earlier, the educational component of what you've done is, is very important. So I was wondering if you could um, talk a little bit more about that, the education vis-a-vis uh, -vis your implementation efforts and, and kind of how that, how that worked, or maybe if it evolved over time, if you could uh, enlighten us on that. Yeah, so uh, because we did multiple, multiple iterations of this, um, uh, we learned a lot. Um, the first... Um, so education is, of course, paramount to move the needle on this issue. And uh, our educational approach has been learning from our mistakes of the past is layered um, and, and ongoing with active uh, periodic engagement. So we started first with uh, leadership meetings where, there, where clinical and operational leaders meet and started what the, and answer their questions, right? Because they're going to have to drive some of these changes as well. And then we attended departmental uh, uh, or faculty meetings for education for department of adherence data sharing and for uh, question and answer sessions because anytime you ask people to do something they have they're going to have questions and we wanted to make sure that we are telling them why we're doing that and and how we're trying to make it painless for them and and they knew what the uh, uh, what the other um, implementations were so uh, we told them that we, we hear you it's not going it's going to be less painful than that and it's going to be much more streamlined so that's, that's how we were able to achieve buy-in. So education is absolutely very important. Um, and the next, uh, uh, next thing, as we did more of this engagement, um, we, um, we learned that some of, the, uh, some of the workflows are much more complex than, than what, what they should be theoretically. Oh. So as we learned them, you know, there are nurses scribing orders. Well, our, our initial education plan did not include nurses. Now we're including nurses in that. Or, of course, residents were included and we, we, we educated residents. Uh, but as we learn some of these uh, nuances of the workflow, we, we educate those folks as well. So interesting. It's an iterative, flexible process, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so put it in the... And, and, the, and the second part is that we meet with each uh, department lead every month, oh. present, them, uh, with, um, present them with data, adherence and non-adherence. We give them a parade of uh, who is who's the top adherent folks, so we can give them kudos, and who are, uh, who are uh, the least adherent. And, uh, and we can, that, uh, that particular leader can then have a conversation with that, uh, with that, 
a particular a set of providers and say, and do a non-punitive education, right? So this is about education and not about, uh, about penalties. So, uh, so that's, that's the other, other thing. And perhaps connect the people who are doing well with those who are not so to, for knowledge sharing. So those yes. are the kind of things. And we've discovered, we've discovered issues with this. So when, when we, in some cases, um, uh, we look at some of the charts together and say, what is going on? So for our transplant program, we discovered that they were, uh, they were getting flagged for ordering a lot of the uh, cardiac imaging. Mm-hmm. When they were ordering cardiac imaging because these are pre-transplant folks and they need to have that uh, a risk assessment done for a major operations like that. So that's, a, that's, a, that's within a protocol and we shouldn't be penalizing for that. So we'll work with the vendor to, uh, to make sure that those are dealt with appropriately and, not, uh, and they don't get dinged unnecessarily for it because they're doing the right thing for the patient. And, and it's so it sounds like you're, you know, it's an iterative process and you're, you're collecting data just even, you know, in and of itself on how, the, how, how people are learning. Who, do you have somebody who's tasked with collating all that, collecting it, and, and reporting it, or is that just something you've taken on yourself? Uh, yeah, these are, uh, so these are, this is part of uh, our transformational process. So we have, uh, we have a couple of team members from the transformation team that helps us oh, okay. uh, collate some of these data so that we can share. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's, because I was like, that's a big task if you yeah. yourself are also taking that on. Well, um, yeah, and we'll talk about the adherence rate in a minute, because it has jumped since, yes. since you've been doing this. So um, but first, I was wondering, um, and you've, again, you've touched on it earlier, but I'd love to get some more detail around, you know, how you keep the C-suite updated on your efforts. Um, sounds like you, you know, talk about data, you, you present that data regularly to administra- administration stakeholders. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, how that process works, how it even got started, and, you know, kind of ha- how you handle that and, and how regularly you do it. So our, our, institu- our uh, institution is broken into departments and institutes. So there are institutes are, are um, have multiple departments within them. So when we have this, so our institute, this Diagnostic Medicine Institute, has um, has two departments within it: radiology and, and uh, uh, lab and pathology. So um, when that when we meet on a on a bi-monthly basis with our, our uh, C-suite uh, to talk about a variety of things, we report that uh, report out um, uh, these efforts during that time. And then on a quarterly basis, we meet with our executive leadership team to report out um, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, imp- the performance improvements that have happened that highlights the efforts of referring physicians, as well as the, uh, the um, associated financial impact uh, in the metrics as well. So, um, and if there are barriers, we communicate with those as well and jointly uh, figure out a way to overcome those barriers. So it's a very data-driven effort, and it sounds yeah. like all parties are kind of bought into that idea. Uh, absolutely, and eventually we'll yeah. probably have a, you know each institute has its dashboard, so eventually we'll put those data yeah. uh, on on those dashboards as well, so that those are highlighted as part of the review process for their meetings with the executive leadership as well. And, and is that sort of? I'm sorry if you said this, but did you do, do you beyond just the C-suite? Do you publish that internally? The I know that you're doing you're yeah. getting ready to do dashboards, but so there's, a, there's a significant amount of data here. And what we wanted to do is make the process very easy for our, our um, department leaders. So we've created, um, our, um, our data team has created a single pane of glass dashboard uh, okay. so that when they look at it, uh, it's going to lie, it's going live at the middle of this uh, month. We already shared some of these with, uh, on these monthly meetings. 
to, uh, to make sure we're addressing uh, people's needs. So based on those feedback, we have, um, we have modified those, um, uh, the dashboard and the final iteration of it, we're, we're about to publish in, in, in a week or two. Wow, that's uh, wonderful. That available on our analytics dashboard. And, and that's one thing, right? That's for leaders. But eventually when it's mature, we'll actually open it up to everyone. So anybody so, can look at their performance, uh, transparency is, um, is something that will drive quality, right? So that's interesting. Do that, yeah. Yeah, and the, the, you know, little competition never hurt anybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. that's good. Well, um, we talked a little bit earlier about the uh, adherence rate of CDS having jumped, as I understand it, has gone from fifty-one to sixty percent uh, in mm -hmm. one year, which seems to me like a, a big jump. Yeah. Um, how are you planning on building on that success? Uh, you know, in, in the coming years. Sure. Um, so um, we, when we first started, it was about 51 percent uh, in uh, in January. Um, and it has climbed. Um, uh, when I uh, when I told you last time it was about sixty percent, but now last month's data is up to sixty four percent. Wow, we climbing! Or improve that. Um, so we continue to move in the right direction over the year. Uh, our playbook really isn't going to change because it has worked successfully. Um, it will continue to make those um, uh, make the engagement uh, with CDSM easier uh, within the EMR. Um, continue the effort with our with our CDSM partner on NLP front, as well as uh, even giving people positivity feedback, right? So if they did a, right. a particular test and 99 out of 100 times it's negative, they should know that, right? Uh, so they can recalibrate, at least mentally. Um, continued feedback on uh, to department leaders who in turn provide feedback to their uh, team members and, and just continue to listen actively so that um, um, if there are issues, we, we work with them to fix uh, those issues. If, uh, if the tool isn't working or if, it's, if the tool is, um, um, is providing appropriate engagement um, or, or whatever the issues are, uh, we, we understand those, work with uh, our CDSM partner uh, to then to fix it. Excellent. And it sounds like you've got a pretty open line of communication to the, the IT folks who are, are supporting uh, the, these efforts. Is that, is that important as well? Absolutely. We uh, so that team meets with uh, our our partner uh, in, a, in a separate fashion, um, along with our um, um, along with our CMIO, our Chief Medical Informatics Officer, uh, on a monthly basis. So there's an open line of communication with our um, uh, CDSM provider. Well, bringing this back to PAMA again, uh, ever since its inception, PAMA has been somewhat fraught, as we've talked about, uh, with delay after delay of implementation. So. Um, can you please talk about where we are right now with PAMA? So, so currently um, um, we're in the educational and operational testing phase. And that, that will continue per CMS uh, until they say no. Uh, so data tracking uh, phase, uh, which is which, what this implies, will continue and will continue to gather data. And, and in our case, we're using those data to uh, 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 to act uh, in, in the manner that we just talked about. The penalty phase has been postponed again, and this time uh, due to public health emergency, and uh, we don't have a forecast from, uh, from CMS as to when the penalty phase will begin. Um, but if I, had to, uh, if, if, uh, if I had to use my crystal ball, it's probably going to be, uh, you know, just learning from the past, uh, probably about a year after the PHE is over. Oh, interesting. Just to give you so that that's encouraging for people who maybe haven't gotten very far down this road. We're still in that education and, and operations phase. So, yeah. 
it's then maybe now is a really good time to get in get in on this because it Absolutely. may last for up to another year or so. Well, Dr. Patel, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, where can people find you online if they'd like to continue this important conversation? Well, uh, uh, thank you for the opportunity, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Uh, my email is aapatel at geisinger.edu. That's at two A's, aapatel, P-A-T-E-L, at G-E-I-S-I-N-G-E-R dot E-D-U. Uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. And for our viewers, if you have any ideas for future show topics, please let us know on Twitter at, at RadiologyACR. And please use the hashtag, hashtag ACR Bulletin Podcast, all one word. Uh, I also invite you to check out all of our past episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe to ACR YouTube channel to see our latest episodes. And please do also hit that like button if you found this uh, video valuable. So thank you so much again, Dr. Patel. We'll have to have you back and hopefully you'll be able to update us on, on uh, CBS and all things uh, appropriate criteria in the future. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Well, thank you to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin Podcast. See you next time.